I want to play Name That Lyric. Uh, so I'm going to feed you some lyrics here, and you fill in the blank at the end. We're going to go in the Wayback Machine. This is the Country Music Song of the War of the Year in 1970. All right, country music, so Kent Drake is out. He doesn't do the country music. If you see your brother standing by the road with a heavy load from the seeds he sowed, if you see your sister falling by the way, just stop and say you're going the wrong way. You've got to try a little Kindness. Try a little kindness. That was the song. Who sang it? Extra credit. Huh? Somebody, did anybody say Glenn Campbell? You got it, Sue. I should have known. You got it. Glenn Campbell. Try a little kindness. Before he wrote that, Paul, the apostle Paul wrote, love is kind. Now, we're in a sermon series, you know, family matters, love matters, and the, the central idea is for our families to flourish, one of the things we need is biblical love in that family. So we're using 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, those descriptors of love, and we're making each one the heart of a sermon. So we've talked about love is patient. Nate talked about love is generous. And today, love is kind. I want to say three things about this kind love in the context of our families, so specific application here to our families, whatever that family may be for each one of us. Number one is act love, act loving, act loving. What am I saying? Did I say love instead of kindness? I should have said kindness every probably several times there. All right, act kind. First Corinthians thirteen four. Love is kind. Now, when we think about kindness, we may think about being warm and affectionate. And we do want to be that in our families. We want to be warm and affectionate. It's better, better than the alternative, which is being cold and taciturn. But that's not really the heart of what this word means. If you're to do a word study on this word kind in the original language, and by the way, it's the only place where this, this word appears in the New Testament in this form, then you would find these kind of synonyms. Fit for use, useful, virtuous, good. And all of these words, all the ones we've looked at so far and will be looking at in the future, they're all verbs, the action words. The emphasis is on action, it's on acting, and the, the kind of acts are acts that are useful, fit for your use, virtuous and good in our family. So it's, it's not just the thought that counts. Say the thought that counts, and the thought does count, but it has to be followed up by action. So I want to use as an example the eighth book of the Old Testament. The eighth book of the Old Testament. Some of you are doing math. You're doing the math right now. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua judges what? Ruth. Ruth. So in, in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, it's the story of a mother and a wife named Naomi. And she has two sons. She has a husband and two sons. During a time of famine in Bethlehem, they moved from Bethlehem 60 miles away to Moab. No, no food here in Bethlehem, so they go to Moab where they, they have food. While they're living there in Moab, her two sons marry Moabite women. One of those women is named Orpah, and the other one is named Ruth. In the course of time, all three of the husbands died, leaving these three women widows. And when that happens, Naomi, in her grief, says, uh, I'm going home. I'm leaving Moab. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And Orpah and Ruth say, we'll go with you. And Ruth says, and uh, Naomi says, no, you stay here in Moab. Go back to your father's homes. I can't do anything for you. This is where your security is. You go back. Orpah says, yeah, okay, that sounds good. I'm, I'm out of here. 
But Ruth says to Naomi, no, I'm staying with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And that's what happens. So Ruth goes with Naomi. They walk 60 miles back to Bethlehem. And once they get settled in, here's what Ruth says to Naomi. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields. You know, gleaning is picking up the stalks of grain that are left over behind the harvesters. It's back-breaking work. But she's trying to provide at least a subsistence living for her mother-in-law, Naomi. It is these actions that define Ruth's kindness. Not just the thoughts, but what she did for her mother-in-law. In fact, an observer says this about Ruth. In chapter 2, verse 11, I have been given a full report of all that you have done for your mother-in-law following the death of your husband, how you left your father, your mother, as well as your homeland, came to live among the people you did not know previously. May the Lord reward your efforts. May your acts of kindness be repaid fully by the Lord. Ruth was kind not because she thought kind thoughts, not because she said kind words, although she did but because she followed through with kind actions, deeds. That's my emphasis here, the verb, the action here. The eighth book of the Bible is not called Orpah. You know, we don't say Joshua, Judges, Orpah, 1 and 2 Samuel. Not named after Orpah. Orpah said some nice things. She had some nice thoughts. But she checks out after verse 10. We don't read anything else about her. She wasn't evil. She wasn't mean. She just didn't make a difference. But it's Ruth who stepped up, stood in the gap, and made a difference in Naomi's life. It's the action. Paul writes, John writes rather, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about Wilma Stanton, who passed away a, a week ago today. She passed away last Sunday. Some of you will know Wilma. She's been a member of this congregation for decades. She hasn't been able to attend probably for the last year or so because of health challenges. But a great example of kind love, somebody stepping up in their family and doing kind acts that make a difference. I mean, she nursed her first husband, died, and she, she nursed him, so she's a widow. And then her daughter, Jackie Sapp, also part of this church who got sick, and she nursed Jackie. Her daughter preceded her in death. Jackie had a son, James. James, now he's 10 years old. There's nobody to take care of James, and he's, he's on the spectrum. It's, it's kind of challenging. But Wilma, as the grandmother, stepped up and raised her grandson. And then she married Link, Link, her second husband. And, you know, a lot of us know Link Stanton, and he got cancer, and he passed away. She nursed him. Uh, I was talking to Joan in the first service on the way in, and Joan just brought up Wilma. So I heard she passed away. She was so kind to me and good to me. When my husband passed, I mean, if you know Wilma, that's the kind of person she was, just to step up, stand in the gap, do those things that made a difference in the necessary time. That's what it means to be kind love. That's what our families are looking for and needing from us, action. All right, so act kind, number one. All right, number two, saying three things today. Second thing here is become kind. We want to become kind. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. 
So we not only want to do kind things, and uh, you can't really provide a checklist. If I check this, check this, check this, then I've been a, I'm, I'm kind. We we're striving to become kind people. Let me kind of try to communicate what I mean here. So, for instance, when you read the life of Jesus in the New Testament, he's constantly interacting with the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees like to check boxes and obey what we might call the letter of the law as opposed to the spirit of the law. But they weren't kind people. And I'll give you an example. In Mark chapter 7, verse 10, Jesus says this to these religious leaders. He says, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. But you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I, given, I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. So, so the Pharisees were the kind of people who say, you know, Mom, Dad, I know you're getting on in years. I'm sure you could use a little assistance from me, but everything I'm, I'm tithing here and I'm giving to the church, I don't have anything left over. I'm sorry, I just can't help you. And they actually use that as a loophole to get out of supporting their elderly parents. Again, this is a family type of example. So while they would have claimed to be right with God, they were hard Hearted. They were not kind. How many times we read the Gospels and we read about Jesus and it's Sabbath and he's in the synagogue and there's somebody there that needs to be healed and he's got the power, so he's going to heal and then here's the Pharisees looking on and saying, hmm, is he gonna is he gonna work on the Sabbath, violate the Sabbath law? And Jesus says, you know, you you Pharisees, if you have an ox that falls in the ditch, you'll help it out on the out of the ditch on the Sabbath. You don't think that's breaking the the Sabbath law? He says, can I heal somebody on the Sabbath? Pharisees are no, no. They would check the box on not working on the Sabbath according to their tradition. They didn't have the heart to help someone who needed healing. See the difference when I say we want to become kind people. And to do that, we need God's help. We need God's help. It's a, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's more than just our determination or, or here's the list. We want to become something, and God is helping us to do this, this process of change and transformation. For instance, you remember Moses, when Moses would go up on the mountain to be with God, or when he would go into the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies there, and he's with God. God is light. It's the essence of God. He's light. And so he's exposed to this light of God. And when he came down from the mountain or came out of the tabernacle, what happened to his face? It was glowing. It was glowing. It absorbed this light from God. and It was glowing. He'd put that veil over it, and the glow would gradually fade until he got back in the presence of God again, and he would absorb some more of God's light. Now, the Apostle Paul refers to this, this, this incident with Moses, how this worked with Moses, when he writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, So all of us can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now, the word glory there means character. And what Paul is saying here, as we expose ourselves to the glory or the character of God, we reflect on it, we think about it, we meditate on it, that's the raw material that the Holy Spirit needs to change us into that character. 
So th things don't happen magically. It doesn't just happen. We've got to give God something to work with. So this is why it's so important for you and I to get into that time with God every day. What we would call that quiet time with God. And read the Bible and reflect on it and pray about it. Maybe journal it. That, that's getting with God and with the character of God. For instance, if you use the one-year Bible, and you know, I, you know we push the one-year Bible. But if you happen to use that reading plan, then in the first four months of this year, actually on into June 1st and 2nd of this month, you've been reading in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're reading there about Jesus. We read of Jesus cooking for people, feeding people, washing their feet, listening to their problems, walking slowly through the crowd, praying for people, encouraging them, defending them, and forgiving them. And as we read that and we reflect on it and we meditate on it, then the Holy Spirit, that's the catalyst. He's actually changing us and transforming us into that. So, so for instance, we read about Jesus there washing the feet of the disciples, humbling that humble act. And then he says to the disciples, now you go and do likewise. And so we say we read that. And we, we think about it, and we pray about it. We say, God, make me that kind of person who washes feet. And in our culture, you know, that's not really a thing. We don't wash people's feet, but we, the, the kind of person who does those kinds of things, we pray about that. So that night, you know, when it comes time to clear off the dishes, maybe, just for example, instead of me clearing off my dishes and putting them in the sink to soak nice and close to the dishwasher, so my wife can come later and put them in the dishwasher. I just eliminate that step. I take my dishes. I open the dishwasher, put them in myself. Or maybe even, maybe even not only my own dishes, I go and get her dishes too and put them in there. Or maybe this. Maybe um, so on this past Thursday in the one-year Bible, you're reading in Acts chapter 6, we're in the daily distribution of food there in the Jerusalem church. Some people were being overlooked. And so the apostle said, it's not right for us apostles to, to not pray and, and, and do the word. So we, we need to give this to somebody else to do, to oversee this distribution. And so they said, well, all right, let's get some women to do it. No, that, that's not what they said. They said, Acts chapter 6, verse 3, they said, select seven men who are well-respected, full of spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility also. You know, so I pray, you know, we pray, fill me with wisdom in the Holy Spirit. I want to be that kind of person you know, who serves. And maybe then, you know, so later on, we, it becomes apparent that the baby's diaper needs to be changed. And instead of sitting there and pretending that we don't smell it, see, who's going to cave first, right? That's all right. I'll take care. I'm going to change the diaper. I'm going to change the diaper. I'll take care of that. We jump up. So we're talking about in the family becoming a certain kind of person who does kind acts. Psalm 104, verses 14 through 15. God's always our model for love, and in this case, loving kindness. And we can think about in the past the things that God has done for us because they are the mighty acts of redemption, like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, for instance. But God, on a daily basis, He provides for us, like food, Clothing, Psalm 104, 14. God, you make the grass grow for cattle. You make plants for human farming in order to get food from the ground and wine which cheers people's hearts along with oil which makes the face shine and bread that sustains the human heart. Psalm 107, 32. Be wise. Remember this. Think about the kindness of the Lord. Think about it. We become what we think about, what we give our minds to. 
Ruth was not an Israelite woman. She did not grow up worshiping and thinking about Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and His provision and His mercy and His benevolence. She grew up in Moab. They worshiped Chemosh, the idol, small g God, Chemosh. We know what that was like. We know from the Bible. We know from archaeology. We know from history that Chemosh worship was very debased. It was cruel. It included infant sacrifice. That's what she grew up with. But when she married into Naomi's family, she must have seen something different. She must have seen something different in the dynamic of that family and in the God that they worshipped. So that she said, no, your people are my people and your God is my God. And Ruth did not need it spelled out for her. Now, this is what kindness is. This is what kindness is. Because God, Yahweh, had done a work in her and changed her into a kind person. When these various opportunities and her specific circumstances presented themselves, she responded in kindness. That's why we really can't give a list, but whatever our circumstances are, our particular situation, uh, we do what a kind person does. So that's what I mean by become kind. Let's give God a, a chance, an opportunity to work that change in us. And number three, stay kind. Stay kind. Stay kind. Now, the reason Paul is writing this, or part of the reason, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, is because they had a need for it in the Corinthian church. They weren't a particularly kind church. They weren't patient. They weren't generous. And they weren't loving. They were not kind. They had a lot of problems. For instance, they were suing each other in the congregation. A member had a problem with another member. They went and got the lawyers. They go before the judge. They're, they had lawsuits in the church. And Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. He says, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not just let yourself be cheated? Now, in a family, Sometimes we get all obsessed with justice. We want things to even out. I did this for you. You do that for me. I put the dishes in the dishwasher five times last week. You only put them in the dishwasher two times last week. That's not fair. That's not just. And Paul would say, you have to abandon that, that whole approach. It's not about justice. In the family, he's talking about the family of God. We're talking about our, our biological family. We're not striving for justice. I think, I think clearly that the scriptures would teach our best chance at receiving loving kindness into our own lives is to be loving and kind to others. That's, that's the best chance. You reap what you sow. As a general rule, that's true. But there are exceptions, and it doesn't always work out that way. And when, when I say stay kind. I mean that we, we're not responsible for how somebody responds to us and how they react to us and whether or not they're loving or kind to us in the family. We're just responsible for us. And we must be relentlessly kind. A lot of times it'll come back, but not always. 
For example, Ben got hooked on drugs when he was 10 years old. He went through his first drug program when he was 13 and four more treatments before he turned 20. And even after he'd become a successful artist, he continually returned to drugs. Through years of this abuse, his mother Marilyn showed love to him. When doctors told Ben the drugs were damaging his heart, she loved him. When the drugs caused him to say horrible things to her, she loved him. At times, love meant saying no to Ben when he asked for money or refusing to let him stay with her because he would steal things from her home and sell them for drug money. But she always reminded him that she loved him. And after two heart valve transplants, Ben was given two years to live. His mother did not want him to die alone or in a care facility. She committed herself to taking care of him in her home until the end. At the time of Ben's death, he had not apologized for his actions, but his attitude was beginning to soften. He'd started to make eye contact with his mom, although he would not express gratitude for her care. In a broken world, Relationships do not always work the way we want. We might never see the influence of our kindness, but when we love, we are faithful even when loving is difficult. True love always involves a choice. I think everybody is hard to live with sometimes. And I know, huh, Steve, I married my soulmate. We never have a crossword. Well, God bless you. But I think everybody is hard to live with sometimes. And what I'm saying is we want to stay relentlessly kind. I just finished a, a reading a book this past week by Viktor Frankl. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And he was a psychologist who was a survivor of Auschwitz concentration camp, Nazi concentration camp. So the first half of the book, he's writing about his experiences there. Of course, you know what happened in the concentration camps. Dehumanizing, they stripped everything away. Those people, slave labor. And sometimes uh, you know, the, the, the inmates there in the camp were, were really cruel toward each other, but not always. Not always. And this is the most famous paragraph coming out of that book. Frankel writes, We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms is the freedom to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. If they can do that in a Nazi concentration camp, we and our families can choose our attitude, an attitude of love and kindness no matter what. That's going to be our way. I want to, um, I want to close with a list. This is Dale Carnegie's Ten Commandments of Human Relationships. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. People make fun of that book, but it's really it's a great book. And most of these, these are for any kind of relationships. This would be at work, this could be at school, this would be in our neighborhood, but we're applying it to the family and they all apply to our family. Here we go, the 10 commandments of human relationships. Number one, speak to people. There's nothing as nice as a cheerful word of greeting. Number two, smile at people. Smiling is kindness projected from the face. Number three, call people by name. The sweetest music to any person's ears is the sound of their own name. Number four, be friendly and helpful. 
friendly and help. If you would have friends, be friendly. Number five, be cordial. Speak and act as though everything you do is pleasurable. Six, have a genuine interest in people. People like to be noticed and appreciated. Number seven, be generous with praise, cautious with criticism. Eight, be considerate of the feelings of others. Instead of putting people in their place, put yourself in their place. Nine, be thoughtful of the opinions of others, respect their viewpoints, and ten, be alert to give service. What counts most in life is what we do for others. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, as we reflect this morning on your kindness, we want to put ourselves in the position where you can use that, use that reflection, our thoughts of you, our recognition of what you have done for us in the past, what you continue to do for us, that the Holy Spirit will use that meditation and that reflection to change us into your glory, into your character, that in our families, each of us this morning will be loving, patient, generous, and do kindness, useful, good, kind service, each for the other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.